welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And joining us again, uh, we're very lucky to have him back. We wiped the blood off the table from uh, last time and he's come and joined us. Uh, please welcome the very talented, the very wonderful Jason Hazley. Hello. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Um, I, if, you didn't, if you don't know what the reference uh, to the blood on the table is last time, don't look it up. Just let your imagination run wild. <laughs> yeah. So, last time uh, we talked a lot about your career, your writing with uh, Joel, uh, Joel Morris, and your uh, brilliant Ladybird books, and um, all the uh, other work you've been doing, but with th- this is a, a bit of a one-off show, actually, we should do more of these, but um, we're, we're th- this uh, episode of uh, Sitcom Geeks is devoted to one sitcom, one sitcom alone, and, and the sitcom is Ever Decreasing Circles. Uh, which so, some of you will probably, a lot of you will know. Uh, it's not the most famous sitcom of uh, written by uh, Esmond and Larby. Of course, they were famous for The Good Life, was their, their sort of big hits. But Ever Decreasing Circles is a fantastic sitcom. All three of us love this sitcom for different reasons. Um, and Jason, in particular, is a huge fan of the show. And, in fact, uh, you even have a blog devoted I, yes, to I, I an occasional but lengthy blog yeah, and like occasionally it. you post pictures on social media of scripts that you found mm-hmm. and those sorts of things yep. and so yeah, first, I've, first done, I've done lots of yeah. I, I do go on about it don't I you do well, no but that's maybe great we should, maybe we should end here let's start uh, and, and ask you really well I mean we all have our stories but Jason why do you love ever decreasing circles um, well tell us a little bit about it first okay well it, it is it is, it's very simply about a man who would like the world to just run perfectly um, uh, to the point that he's neurotic about it uh, when it doesn't. Mm. And once the writers had arrived at who that person was, and he was based on someone they knew, they then decided, what's, so what's, what's the worst thing that could happen to this man? And as the answer is for someone to move in next door to him for whom life goes right all the time. Yeah. It's such a simple premise. Mm. And it's so funny. Um, I think I first saw this when it first arrived on TV in 1984. Um, so, but I would have been about, what, 13 when it went out? It went out in, uh, in January 1984. So I'd have been 13 at the time. Yeah. Or, yeah. So it would have well, been... Interesting, it, it, I, I, it, watched, I watched the Comedy Connections about it recently. Yeah. And they said, well, the first series wasn't very successful. It only got seven million. Um, <laughs> but they commissioned God. the second series, but repeated the first series. And the, sec- the repeat of the first series got nine million. And then, you know, 11 million watched the second series. Yeah. So these, uh, these are big numbers. They are. Um, they, weren't, they, weren't spent, they were modest numbers then, you know. Yeah. That, could, that could easily have gotten the chop. But the BBC had that, had that really good habit then of taking a series and then getting a second series out of it, but before showing the second series, bumping the first one again in mm. front of it so that you had a chance to either engage with it for the first time and go, oh, there's more of this, or had a chance to re-engage with it and go, God, this is good, isn't it, second time round, this is mm. great, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, they all bear repeat viewings particularly. Mm. They do, yeah. Um, and this, so Ever Decreasing Circles, I'm, I'd only been about 13, so I, I can't imagine what was in it for a 13-year-old, except that it's oh. very funny. Oh, I think, mm-hmm. I think there is something in it for a 13-year-old boy, particularly, is he's, he's a bit of a child. He mm. is, he um, is, yes. And he sulks. He doesn't have any inner monologue. Um, no. I so I watched these two episodes uh, uh, in the last couple of days, and 
if he's upset about something, he'll he'll sulk. He'll yes. go off and sulk. You will see him sulk. Um, he's a in, teenager. In yeah, in episode two, I think, Kevin when Paul like. suggests that they all take his committees away from him. Yes. He, he steps down from the chair and goes to sit in the corner and sulks. Mm. Right. Um, and so I think that is, this is a man-child that we're seeing. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. And he... One of the things I've, I've written about uh, every decreasing circles is that the, the sit of the sitcom, which which you basically go, oh, it's um, it's the close. That's the situation, the, mm. the, the place where they live, the close. It's not the close Anne. It's the close, as he <laughs> says at one point. Um, but it's not. That's not the sit. This is. I think what's what's so special about this series is that the situation in this series is the inside of Martin Bryce's head. That's where the sitcom is set because. Mm. All the problems start and end there. Mm. The fact is, you know when you do a thing where you trap the people? You, people have to be trapped in a sitcom. Mm. So they're trapped in a bar in Cheers, or they're, they're, t- they're trapped in prison in Porridge, mm. which is interesting because it's not just the prisoners who are trapped mm. there as well. Fulton Mackay, what, what's his character there? I can't remember his character's Mr. name. Mr Mackay is... Yeah. He's trapped there as yeah. well. You know, and Mr Barraclough. Yeah. yeah, and Mr Barraclough. Mm. Um, Martin is trapped in his own head. So he wants to organise everything and he wants everything to be in the right place. And when it isn't, um, it's the worst thing that could happen to him. Mm. And, I, and there's, only, there's only one other sitcom. You'll be able to think of others, but I was thinking about this. And there's one other sitcom I can think of that, that is trapped in, set in the character's head, which is the incredibly bizarre but beautiful and brilliant The Strange World of Gurney Slade. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever seen that? Not sure I have. It's no. extraordinary. It starts with... Um, it starts with, it's, it's, it's 1967, 68, something like that, Anthony Newley. Right. Um, so it starts with what looks like a very conventional mum's ironing in the background, Granny's doing a bald egg, and Anthony Newley's sitting there in a chair reading the paper, and the neighbour comes round and he's like this, and it looks like, it just looks like, you know, the, the glums or something. Yeah. You know, it looks like a really off-the-shelf sitcom. Mm. And eventually there's a point at which Anthony Newley has his first line, and he doesn't deliver it. And you can hear the prompt off screen going just a boiled egg please just a boiled egg please and he doesn't deliver the line and well, the cast are all then trying to improvise their way out of this scene and then he puts his newspaper down and he walks off the set of the sitcom and out of the studio and into the street this is a sitcom that starts with him walking out of his own sitcom and, wow. then, and then the rest of it just takes place in his head right. in, in the last episode I think he's on trial for not, produ- for not producing a proper sitcom <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> It's How have I not heard of this? It's like Larry, this is like, you know, Gary Shandling show, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in 1967. And it's, it's I mean, late 60s. You could argue that, that uh, The Office and Ricky Gervais is a very, very big fan of Ever Decreasing Circle. Yes, he is, that that's that That's in the sense that, um, that everybody is reacting around David Brent, really, aren't that's they? That's true, and he's and, another and, man child, yeah. isn't he? And he, you know, he, he is, I guess... Um, from what he said about it, he's very inspired by the Martin character, and he is that. Yeah. And, and, and so, in that sense, not not quite as, as as specifically as you as you refer to the idea of actually being in in the head, but certainly in terms of his motivations and everything that he does in the office, that everything is around that is is. Uh, you know, everybody kind of works around it, don't they? Yeah, he's. Uh, Martin has got. Martin knows what's happening next, and he knows what he's saying next, and he knows what you know. They go on holiday to the same place every year, 
to the Gasthaus Glockenspiel. Um, and so he's one of these people who is just simply defined by needing to have everything in its place. Mm. And it's when things aren't in their place that things go wrong. He goes mad, it goes right for Paul. That's the, sort of the architecture of the series. Yeah. But the thing is, it's so funny. It's just so funny. It's... Esmond and Larby were very, very good writers, and I think they were absolutely at the top of their game when they wrote this series. Really at the top of their game. Mm. I know The Good Life is the more popular series, but I think this is funnier, better written, more yes, well-observed. it's interesting, isn't it? He's listening to Richard Bryars talk about um, how Richard Bryars did not like playing Tom Good. No. He didn't like not, Tom Good. He's not a very yeah. nice man, Tom Good. No, mm. um, but it's very... You don't really think... When you think back to The Good Life, you don't think of Tom being not... You think of him being relentlessly chirpy. Yes. Um, you think the, the, the other people around him are very... They're, they're, they are, have very much... like a, Each has a sort of a comedy thing, and so there's, there's a bit of the monster about Margot and, and um, mm. Paul Eddington's... Um, Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, of course. Tom and Jerry. Jerry. Tom, yes, Jerry. Of course, they yeah. love their joke names. Yeah, they love their joke names. Mm. There's two, there is Howard, of course, from Howard and Hilda. Yeah, um, is Howard Hughes. Yes. And there's also there's off there's an off-screen character in Ever Decreasing Circle called Tommy Cooper. Yes, that's right. They all, they, both names yeah. come up in the second episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned there's a character who comes in who's even less. Uh, less non more nondescript oh. than Howard and this yeah, Don that, Don that, Don Donny or something. Yeah, right. Like okay, so they have so one of one of Esmond and Larby's codes is the more their names sound like each other, the more boring these people are. <laughs> <laughs> so you have Howard and Hilda Hughes um, in the first draft of the stage play on which they based the series. They were um, Harold and Helen. So right. they were still aiming for the same thing, just make these people sound like they, yeah. they, they are the same person. So yeah, Howard and Hilda Hughes, and there's an episode in which some, some people even more boring than them <laughs> yeah. move into the close, and they're called Dan and Diana Danby. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the ones who sit round in the pub with just half a drink saying, what's everybody's favourite jam? All right. Um, to which the, the, sta- the stage director in the script reads, all the twats ponder this question deeply. <laughs> <laughs> so there are even jokes in the stage directions. There are the jokes script, in the yeah. stage directions. And, the, and Dan and Diana Danby... Um, they there is a that that was the the actor playing Dan is Milton Johns, and um, he was playing an evolution. He plays exactly the same character in an earlier sitcom of those called Don't Rock the Boat, where he's a bloke, um, he's a bloke who's hired a boat and is was living on a boat or something. And his name his name is Don Dean with his dog Dolores. <laughs> it's all the same joke. It's just delightful. Absolutely. One thing I found sort of watching it, again, I, I dipped into to various uh, episodes, and there was this. Uh, I just watched a little bit of an episode where uh, Martin has um, saved a, a girl from drowning in a yes. pond, and um, it's just this, this fantastic scene that's and this thirty odd years ago that it was written. He's lying there in bed, and um, he doesn't. Um, you know, he just he saved this girl from the park, and of course everybody wants to know what happened. What happened? And he's he just doesn't he doesn't get that that, that he's done anything particularly great, and he's far more interested. In, and Howard comes round, all the people come round, and he's lying there in his bed, and they say, "So what happened?" And, and he said, "Howard, Howard, have you noticed the new beading on my wardrobe?" And they said, "No, no, no, don't talk about that." And so they. they so gradually he sort of gives the story, and finally, as people are going, he says, "Howard, how, 
the beading, my wardrobe. You know, that's the only thing that yeah. he is interested in. And I just so, I, I mean, that that is something about uh, ever decreasing circles. What what I find, and when when you watch when you watch older sitcoms, considerably older sitcoms. I mean, and again, the Good Life does feel a little bit dated, I think. But um, this just feels totally timeless. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think it's because it's it's not. I suppose self-sufficiency was a thing, wasn't mm. it, actually, in the 70s? Yeah, it was based uh, yeah. on a... There was a book that came out that was a Bible That's of right. self-sufficiency. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so what Ever Decreasing Circles doesn't really have is anything other than just basic human concerns. Mm. You know, it's not like... And everything is brown. Yeah, it's... That's the thing. It's such really, a brown When I watched it with my, it? With my yeah. wife, she just she couldn't believe how brown it was. <laughs> And how brown everything is. You sort of yeah. think that that might have been, oh, that's what the times were like. But I think that is a definite decision they by the art up. department yeah, to go, yeah, yeah. this man lives a very beige life. Yes. Yeah. This is a very beige man. Beige and yeah. brown. And we've got Howard and Hilda here who are just a pair of talking cardigans, you know. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Identical cardigans. Identical cardigans, yeah. 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 Everyone takes credit for that idea, by the way. Yes, I spotted that on the thing that she does, doesn't she? Hilda does. Yeah, Uh, Mm. Geraldine Newman does. Stanley Labour does. Um, The writers do. I mean, I think that someone clearly thought this is such a good thing that we'd all better scramble for credit for it. Yeah, it seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? The idea that they wouldn't be identical. Yeah. Seems rather bizarre that you'd think, no, no, they're meant. That's the joke, isn't it? My kids got some new rabbits a few years ago when their two rabbits died. Um, We went and collected the rabbits from a rescue place, and they're both grey and white. Um, I think you can see what's coming. Um, <laughs> the, the naming process. So the, they, the rabbits were called Bonnie and Clyde when we collected them, but I said, oh, well, I, I, come on, we can think, we've got to give them our own names, kids. And so the kids were arguing about that we're going to take one each and name them. And eventually, that, I think they were going to end up being called something like Fluffy and Transformers. So I just <laughs> said, look, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to call a halt to this. They're Howard and Hilda. So we now have Howard and Hilda living in our back garden. <laughs> Such is my dedication to the cause. I'm very, I'm very pleased. James, with you. James, what, what, what made you love? What, what was it that you love about? I think the show? detail. It is interesting how the thing that struck me watching it again, and it is interesting to go back to these things that you remember vividly, and then you see them as an adult, and you spot other things. Mm. Um, the episodes, the episodes that I saw, you do think to yourself that Paul is rather effortless and wonderful, and he's not very nice. Mm. That's an interesting um, note. He's actually rather, he's actually rather cruel, um, and you know the way he gets all of the societies taken away in episode two. He can see what he's doing. Yes, it's a very very cruel thing that he does, and he doesn't need to do it. Um, and then he agrees to go to the to the um, to that festival hall. Thing. Yes, to see Ashkenazi. Yes, yeah. with with um, with yeah. Anne, and then he propositions her. In the next, in that next episode, he yes. basically offers himself, even though he has had a woman in his garden, yes. who he's clearly been sleeping with, walking around half on, as <laughs> yes. Martin says. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And you do think this man is rather—he's uh, not—he is rather louche and and suave, mm. but he's also something of a Lothario. Yeah. Um, now, in the in the stage play, which is called Hiccups. Um, did they write that consciously as a warm-up to the show, or did they do, or is it too it's, hard it's to tell? Difficult, it's difficult to say, but I think that the ideas were parallel, because it looked like they tried it out and realised that they, did, they had the wrong... They put, they put the suave neighbour off stage, and what they'd done is they got 
Um, he was then he was Stanley originally. He then became Martin, and his wife Liz, right. who then became Fran, who then became Anne. Right. So you've got Martin and Liz, who are pretty much Martin and Anne as you'd know them. And then you've got Howard and Hilda, who are as you'd know them. And then you've got Paul, who is a guy who wears denim and has long hair. Oh. And he's a completely different Paul. He's a not very nice guy. He's sort of uh, he's he's rude. Um, he's cavalier. He's slightly sexist, um, and he's a bit unpleasant. And he's written out at the end of Act One of the stage play, and doesn't come back. But they've got this character sitting off stage, who um, for whom everything always goes right. And they refer to him, and right. I think, and he he wasn't he was meant to be in the in the in the setting of the stage play, but he. But um, unfortunately, he's 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 got a this is such an Esmond Larby gag. He um, he broke his shoulder after he was fallen on by a saxophonist. <laughs> so 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 he's not in the play. But I think they must have realised that's the guy who should be next door, not the yeah. horrible guy. So they yeah. kept the name Paul, but they imported but, this this guy for whom life just seems to go. And I think maybe well. that's it. Maybe that's also the slight, the genius of um, of the good life that we've mentioned before is the fact that their neighbours weren't their enemies, but their friends, and that's what made it all the more difficult, the yeah. fact that they didn't... That's exactly it. Like closing it, yeah. that space between the two pairs of characters yeah. means that you've got so much more to... Uh, you've, got to mm. you've got to work that bit between them that much harder. Yeah. That's yeah. where the fun starts. And then, um, But they, they do the same with Paul, in that Paul is their... He's, he's of their age and their generation, but he has a totally different outlook on life. He's very, very likeable. And he's very, and in one sense, you, you sort of, I don't know, the, the two episodes I saw in quick succession, you do think, wow, that Martin is, is, is relentlessly um, stuck up and uh, buttoned up and takes his wife for granted and everything. Mm. But then she does a lovely little turn when he says, when she basically wants to make him jealous by saying she went off with Paul, um, he says, I don't have to ask because I know that that's one of the things I... You know, that's one of the things I love about you is the fact that you're completely loyal to me. Yeah. And yeah. she then realises she's going to have to lie about who she went with. Yeah. <clears throat> and then when, you know, and then when Paul sort of swoops in and sort of offers himself, as it were, you just think, oh, that's not very nice. Um, Interesting. I watched, I, I, I was sort of watching later, I was watching sort of towards the end of the second series. And, and I think what, what you get with Paul's character, and, and there's a classic thing you ask, what, what does a character want in each episode and what do they get? And in a sense, it's slightly the other way around with Paul. You sort of know that actually he knows at any point he could take Anne away from Martin. He, yeah. he has the power, but so every episode he is battling to not get the thing that he wants. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think it's just what's so amazing about all their sitcoms. And I, I, I came to um, Ever Decreasing Circles actually later. I, I, I grew up with Please Sir, which was a great uh, oh, yeah. ITV sitcom. That was the one that made Esmond and Harvey um, famous, yeah. basically. Mm. And that had... Um, I mean, John, John Alderton was the sort of teacher who was very much a kind of proto Richard Breyer's sort of uh, sl- slightly kind of well well meaning wishy washy teacher who goes to a, a comprehensive school in you know deepest deepest darkest East London or whatever. I'd say totally out of his depth, yeah. really. Um, so, but 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 
characterization, which is what they do so well. And, and one of the things that um, you, you've already said about mm. uh, Paul, not very likable. And, and Martin well, he's likable, but he's not very nice. He's not very nice. Martin is, uh, as you say, relentless. He's uh, you know he he, he he's uh, anxious, and um, you know he can't. He shows all of his. Uh, all of his anxieties um, and we talked about uh, that there is this thing that we do get nowadays sometimes you meet a producer or a commissioning editor or someone and they say well this character's not very likeable is he and do you think we're losing the sort of ability to, to have characters in sitcoms who aren't so likeable it, it doesn't and that likeable thing never counts it's just a wrong note it's just mm. a wrong note it's that simple Idina and Patsy are monsters Basil Fawlty's a terrible snob Tom Good is a shit to his wife David Brent is, um, is a moron you know all these characters none of these characters are likeable you couldn't like David Brent or Basil no, Fawlty no, or Idina or Patsy yeah. Yeah. The, it doesn't matter that they're likeable. Well, the show has to be likeable. That's mm. what. That's the problem again. Mm. It's a basic category error. This person isn't likeable. It doesn't matter. They're mm. funny. If you laugh at Basil Fawlty, you've got, he's got you. Yeah, mm. yeah. You're yeah. in. Yeah. Now, there's a thing about the first series of ever-decreasing circles which my archaeology has dug up, and that is that there is a missing script. Mm. The first three episodes, Anne has gone to the festival hall with Paul to see Ashkenazi and Martin has fallen asleep on the sofa reading a book about lampposts. (laughs) (laughs) And in the next episode, um, he's fussing around trying to find a three-eighths grub screw and planning their annual holiday to the Gasthaus Glockenspiel. And the the whole of the first series is one long story arc, and it's five episodes, which is Mm. an odd number. And so and it just piqued me. I thought, I wonder if there's anything in this. So I went to the BBC Written Archives and pulled out all the paperwork, Six episodes were commissioned, six scripts were written. There are five in the first series. And if you go to, it's, they don't have num- uh, titles in any of the episodes, but it just says Ever Decreasing Circles number one. And then the next script is Ever Decreasing Circles number two. The next one is Ever Decreasing Circles number three. And the next script is Ever Decreasing Circles number five, oh. with five crossed out and transmitted as four handwritten right. on the front page. And if you look at the end of episode three and the beginning of episode five that is four the last few pages of three have been changed and the first few pages of the next one have been changed which makes me think because Paul Peter Egan not Paul don't call him Paul I once I sent an email to Peter Egan once and started dear Paul I mean god what a moron (laughs) Um, Peter Peter Egan said once I seem to remember that the writers talked about having Anne and Paul end up in bed together yeah or eloping or something but then they realised if they did this we've killed the series we can't come back so I think they had a fourth script where something happened and they lifted it out yeah because they they cashed in on the next series because the next series is, is seven episodes so you've got a five episode series and a seven episode series but yeah eight because there's a Christmas special as well but the people I could have asked this question to John Esmond no longer with us Bob Larby no longer with us John Howard Davis who commissioned it no longer with us Harold Snowden who produced it no longer with us so there is no one left to ask (laughs) and there's no there was no paperwork from the producers for the series because shortly before the series was made BBC producers, it, it became no longer mandatory for them to keep all their paperwork. So there's every memo you could ever want to read about the good life in the BBC Written Archives Centre, and hardly anything about mm. increasing circles, just the commissioning process and how much they were paid. 4,000 episodes, by mm. the way, the writers got. 4,000 episodes? Yep. Yeah. 
Because mm. I, I was reading your blog about that, and they, they, that um, there was this sense that presumably what they decided was, yeah, or, or I think you said that it was Richard Briers who said, no, no, that can't happen. They can't get together because that will kill the series. Yeah, because that's the whole the, one of the central yeah, yeah. tensions in the series. But actually, is that? and it's interesting again because I was thinking about um, Frasier, how and, uh, and I'm sure and, uh, you know there's such a kind of nod to English uh, sitcoms. Fra- Frasier is, is 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 like so many English sitcoms. I'm sure ever decreasing circles featured in the sort of uh, in the background there the whole Niles and uh, Daphne will they won't they get together which is stretched beautifully <laughs> over three or four series but then by about series five or six it's really breaking point it's breaking point and somebody says we got to do it we got to get them together or kill one of the characters <laughs> off I, and they get them together and that's it that's the end of the show um, and uh, I, I just I think thinking about that um, missing episode do you think that that was a kind of interesting but that, that, that's a point at which it sort of almost became a different sitcom then because they the, well, they, okay. they decided that's a crucial thing they decided not to do was to bring them together the thing, the thing to do is to, is to flip it the other way around and go can you imagine what would have happened if the two of them had gone to bed together you would have, there would have been a, a resulting tension from it which then would have I mean it's every every time you try and imagine any iteration of this it starts to just destroy the comedy of yeah, yeah yeah you just think That's none, none of these versions are funny the first yeah. victim is the funny yeah. yeah and you can't I mean when you start with a you, you can't damage a series that's that's as funny as this like that so they obviously made the right decision when we've got to yank this out mm. what mm. what I can't find I've mm. now I've been through Bob Larby's archive and John Esmond's archive, and I can't find a trace of this script. I'd just love to find it to see how big a mistake you can make. Well, there you go. I mean, they, and they didn't in the end. Yeah. Right. Isn't that, you know, we're always thinking what we can learn from all these things. Mm. It, it, it is incredible how experienced comedy writers, which they were, this was the fourth, fifth, sixth show they'd written. You know, they'd written... Um, Please, sir. They'd written Get Some In. Fred yeah. Street Gang. Yeah, and yeah. one of them had gone off to write a fine romance. Yeah. They'd written Feet First. They'd written Room at the Bottom. Um, they'd written... Probably the other one. There was one that I... Good Life. The other one. Um, the they'd written... Which in itself is very problematic. Uh, we'll hopefully come on to that. Yeah. yeah, Just Liz they'd written as well. The George Baker one, which is called... Something which is like the, criminal the second it spin-off from... It was like Lisa, Going Straight. It? Right. But it was before Going Straight. Yeah, right. But it's something like that. But... It seems it seems both incredible and therefore we should learn this ourselves. Yeah, is that they created this show? The first few episodes are just brilliant, mm. but even they didn't realise what the show was. Yeah, because they almost took an axe to the to the root of the tree. Yeah, yeah. and and killed it there and yeah. then. And you think, well, how on earth? Why would you possibly think that they should get together or sleep together or elope or whatever it is? Mm. That's it. You know, how could you not know that? But I suppose you, you could have ended up writing a series about an affair, but that mm. again, that doesn't feel like it contains enough juice. You know, there's mm. nothing. There's not much funny in there, especially in that situation when you've already established who these characters are. Well, especially because the way the way it then it seems to me at least plays out is you've got Martin's, you've got you've got a clash of worldviews, haven't you? Yeah. Between Martin's sense of duty and perfectionism. Yes. Um, which are, you know, his perfectionism is, is annoying, but his sense of duty is rather wonderful. Um, you know, the very first thing he does, which I think is the person on whom the character is based in that pilot episode, he's 
he's um, just come back from refereeing a, school, a, a football match for kids. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's running all the committees and the cricket club and all that kind of stuff. And you need people like that for a functioning society. But boy, they can't half be unbearable. And then you've got the rather effortless, um, slightly pleased with himself, but rather good fun Paul. But you can't run a world with Pauls. Um, no, no, no. But equally, you don't want a world of Martins. Um, so, and then you've got Anne in between, who's sort of slightly hitched her wagon to the wrong wagon. But she has a sense of... Will she remain faithful to her husband because of her sense of duty? Yeah, and actually the writers addressed that in the second series because a few people had said, can you explain why she's still with him? And they thought, okay, we'll write this in. So they wrote a scene in for Penny Wilton where Anne says, do you know what, when I met him, I was a bit of a mess. Um, I've been in the wrong job. I've been in the wrong relationship. And Martin said, why don't you let me carry all that? I'll look out for it because because everything Martin sorted everything out and that's what he does and she said that's why I'm with him mm. and you go oh right okay yeah you just sold me the yeah. whole relationship yeah. if I yeah. had any doubts left over you've gone this guy said I'll carry that for you it's alright yeah. I'm good uh, at that and I'm, going back to our previous podcast um, where you mentioned how much you enjoy writing about how flipping useless men are yeah. or can be he is not your useless man at all he is not a man that needs to be told when to take the bins out no. or to fix a fuse no, or to do a... highly capable. He, it's all in hand. He's a man um, covered in clipboards. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So in one sense, he is the dream husband. But in another mm. sense, he's, he is your worst nightmare. But I Sorry, think, I, I was just going to say, but I think that, that to, just, just to go back to that, 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 that kind of crucial point at which the, 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 the uh, meaning of the show changed, and I can imagine how for the writers... Because when sitcom started out, sitcom was, as we said before, it was like one-act dramas, and Goldman and Simpson were very much, you know, the, 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 the sitcoms of the 60s and 70s were mini-plays. And so, that, uh, as well as being full of characters who never learn from their mistakes, they did still have to have some big stories at the mm. end of it. So, Esmond and Larby come from that mm. world of playwright, and uh, writing, as you say, they, they wrote plays as well. And so, you could see how... In play form, in narrative form, yes, they're going to get together. But actually, then you say, oh, hang on a minute, it's a sitcom. People never change. People never learn. Exactly. And you, it's mm. all, it almost feel the gears kind of crashing and then sort of turning, turning it round. And it's becoming, oh, right, no, actually, this is about these three characters. Each of them is very distinct. Each wants one thing that they can't have. And then and, and as soon as you've got that, then he, off you go running yeah. and... Watching the end of series two, as I did, you had a much, much as you said, mm. Martin. Every, uh, I mean, Paul. Everything goes Paul's way, and yet he senses how he is humiliating Martin in the process, and mm. he steps back from that, not because he's a nice man, but that he realizes that he can't. He ha- he has to not let that happen, and so that everybody's got this sort of balancing act going on. These three main characters, which which yeah. makes it for me, well, it's a, such a Oh, you know, one of the most sort of perfect sitcoms. Yeah. Three Until, I think, yeah. has it got one of the worst last episodes ever? Along with The Good Life, which has one of the worst last the, episodes. The last episode of The Good Life is bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre because they their house gets broken into and vandalised um, and everything's smashed up and there's graffiti all over the walls. And... Um, and uh, this is Tom and Barbara's house and Margot and Jerry come around and they can't believe the state of it and they say... Well, Never mind this. Come on, let's have a drink. And they open a bottle of champagne. 
and um, and I think is there any sense of why the house has been vandalised? Has no, there been no, talk of vandals in the area? It's set up in the first act. There's been there's been a few break-ins in the area. Right. That's it. It doesn't have any weight attached to it though. But the weight that is in there as the subtext thing is, isn't it ti- time you gave this up, guys? Yeah. Um, isn't it time you came back to society and stopped being self-sufficient? And so that's the weight that's put on that last scene. Look, you can't afford to get this repaired. Don't you think you should come back into the fold? And they go, no, we don't. And they end up by saying, well, you know, yours, uh, Jerry says something like, you two have a very strange life. And, uh, and Barbara says, yes, but it's a good life. And Tom says, yes, yes, it is. It's a good life. It's a weird sort of... Not they, even the good life. Their, <coughs> a good life. They is raise it, their glasses. It? Is Someone's written, yeah. the typist who typed up the last script wrote at the bottom, it says they raised their glasses and the typist wrote, boo-hoo, <laughs> the end. <laughs> is this but that's perhaps, a bizarre last episode, isn't it? It is. But the, and the Ever Increasing Circles one is no less bizarre. It's incredibly long as well, isn't it? It's 70 minutes, yeah. Um, 70 minutes. And at the end of it, uh, that what's happening is Martin, Martin is moving away. His company, Mole Valley Valves, is merging with Lee Valley Valves. So Molly Valley Valves, and he's being relocated to Oswest Street. Um, so he's having to leave. So everyone's saying their goodbyes, and you sort of think, well, this is a great way to do it. This is how you do it. You leave, you leave the close at the end of it. You walk out of the show. Mm. And, of course, his last act is to turn the telephone receiver around mm. in the empty house. It's just the phone on the floor. Yeah. That's the end of it. But for some reason, the writer's also bolted onto this, and Anne is pregnant, which seems odd because by about that point... My guess would be that uh, I think Richard Bryce was probably around 51 at the time that that was mm. shot. Um, I don't know how old Penny Wilton was, but it feels like the characters of Martin and Anne have gone way past the point at which they might have had children. Mm. However, um, in suspension of disbelief mode, I found out recently that Bob Larby was 50 when he became a father. So right. actually, I think I put the... I think my, my presuppositions have got in the way of it being feasible Yes. Yeah. If slightly implausible, but what struck me as a writer is you don't need two weights on this. You just need yeah. they're leaving. That's enough to then mm. carry the rest of the story. Yeah. But they chuck in the pregnancy as well, um, and of course Martin is terrified of having a child, and then in the end he's absolutely delighted at having a child, which is a nice character arc, but not very Martin. Yeah, it's not very him. This is not this because in episode one, this is the guy who came in from refereeing that football match, and instead of saying hello to his new neighbour. Says to him, um, "Here's a tip for your wife, Paul. Put her on compo rubber, and she won't start vibrating." <laughs> and he's talking about a washing machine, you know. But that's that's the kind of that's who Martin is. Martin is the guy who says, I- "I'm writing a letter to the Times," and yeah. then he says, "What about?" And he says, "Everything." <laughs> that's that's who Martin is. Yeah. Martin is the one who, when ch- when when charged with trying to calm down and be a bit more like Paul, ends up saying. I've got a smile inside, Anne, but I don't think I can make it come out of my face. <laughs> He's not the one who says, we're going to have a baby. It's yeah. such a strange direction in yeah, which to swing yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, just, but they then... But, I mean, remember you, you, you speak of the last episode <coughs> of another show they wrote called The Other One, yeah. which was, again, a really... I mean, it began with a series of missteps by the sounds of it, and it stands it just gets worse and worse. It's With Richard Bryce and Michael Gambon? Yes, yeah. and Richard Bryce and Michael Gambon. One of them is an oily creep, and the other one is a boring little man. And weirdly, um, it's Richard Bryce playing the oily creep, um, and Michael Gambon playing the boring little man. 
Um, now, what the, the, their intentions were really noble. What they wanted to do was, Esmond and Larby said, we don't think we've seen a, a boring character made funny. We just want to write some really boring people. We think there's a lot of humour in this. And they're right, there is. That's, I mean, a lot of the, I think a lot of The Office probably does that. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot of, I mean, that, even stuff like just those, those, those locked off shots of the paper coming out yeah, of the photocopier yeah, yeah. in the office. It's so funny, it's mm. lovely. Mm. Um, so they try to they try they wrote this thing. They've got two series out of it, but it starts with two people, two bachelors, arriving, bumping into each other at the airport and going to Spain, and then they sort of end up hanging out with each other. And there's no, it's not clear why the two of them need each other and what they're getting out of it, because one of them thinks he's right all the time, and the other one goes along with everything. So there's not really a tension there. Right. Then they end up coming back to. Britain in episode four, so the situation changes midway through the first series, right. and one of them is a rep, oh. um, right. and, the, and the other one is in is it works in the filing department of a record company where he has to make a note of when people die. Um, so and he then gets bored. So the Richard Bryce character says to the Michael Gambon character, "Why don't you come and be a rep with me?" And, and so they then carry on travelling around the country, but just being reps. Right. And it sort of doesn't really. Uh, when is lot, this from? This is from 19... It was the first series of 1977, the second series right. of 1979. So it's directly okay. between The Good Life and Ever-Decreasing Ever Circles. Right. And you think... You can trace... From Tom Good to Martin Bryce, you can trace a line. But these two characters and the other one don't really fit into that line somewhere. It sounds and a little that, bit like... I, mean, it's a, I suppose an <coughs> old lucky man, which was 1973. I yes. Think, yeah. Was, uh, yeah. The, 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 the sales rep kind of character. It sounds like elements... Maybe that, that was a kind of... That was a thing, or maybe, from that sort of And I think that what the, the trouble they had with the last episode of that was that they couldn't... They, I don't think they'd worked out what these two people needed from each other. And they didn't really need anything from each other. And they just happened to be a but the, I mean uh, Esmond and Larby loved writing it they were both hugely enthusiastic about right. it so why wouldn't you if someone says have another six you'll write another six and yet, but at the end yeah. because they couldn't work out how to, uh, how to get out of it um, they go home to see Richard uh, they go home to see Richard Bryce's character's family who are all appalling um, and Richard Bryce is embarrassed by them I keep saying Richard Bryce I should use the character's name shouldn't I they're Brian and that's right Brian and <laughs> we, we, we know Brian. who but he goes back. Is there something about being an evacuee? Is there something like oh, that? There's a, oh, there's this. Yeah, that's another story altogether. So the end. The end of the series, basically, they get into. Um, they get into his red capri. Red capri is, is uh, Esmond and Larby's shorthand for idiot. By right. Because right. um, that's in uh, ever decreasing circles as well. Mm-hmm. And they literally drive off into the distance. Right. That's it. It's like it's Thelma and Louise. It's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Yeah, there's another. There's a really dark episode of that as well, where um, Bryce's character goes back to where he was evacuated to during the war, um, and he did and something really unspeakable, and they've never. In, in well, they th- he they thought he was. The villagers have always thought that he was responsible for the death of a ten year old boy who <laughs> fell to his death in a quarry. And, it, and so they, they hound him out of the village because they're going to kill him. They raise a mob. This is in a sitcom. Yeah. This is in a BBC sitcom. Well, you the, you would the, argue that it's not a sitcom. It's the oddest it's episode. Bizarre. Yeah. It's the oddest episode. But going back to, and we probably need to wrap this up, but going back to the problem with these, in one sense, because they are sort of, I wouldn't say inveterate or veteran, I don't know which is right, sitcom writers... The idea of ending your show is almost against all of their programming. Yeah. The yeah. final episode is like, well, how do you end a format that's designed mm. not to end? And well, so I think a lot of... I mean, that's why most last episodes of most shows are a bit of a disaster. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, if you try and if you try and attach an ending, that's the problem because it's because you then bust in one of the rules of sitcom, which mm. is that at, at any point now that you should be able to reset the characters for the beginning of the next yeah. one. Mm. And if you know there's not a next one, the temptation is to put is to add a cadence to it that says that's the end, which yeah. is sort of in something like Blackadder goes forth. You can easily get away with that. Yeah. And it works very well. Forty Towers is a great example. The last thing that happens in Forty Towers is exactly what would happen at the end of any episode of Forty Towers. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's just Basil being dragged out of the uh, faint. Basil yeah. fainted, being dragged out of the restaurant by Manuel, while Sybil says in brackets conversationally, "I'm afraid it started to rain." <laughs> so in other words, this just goes on and on. Well, and on. Yeah, whether yeah. you see, and maybe they didn't not. know that was the last episode. Yeah. As they were well, I think they it. did. He wanted they. Uh, 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 Booth, uh, Booth and Cleese wanted to get rid of it after 12 episodes okay. but what they didn't want they didn't stick on a sort of fabricated ending right. the mm. one the one ending that um, Esmond and Larby wrote which works brilliantly is the last episode of Brushstrokes oh yes which everyone's, is a great one yes. everyone's off they're all leaving um, except Jacko and Jacko has got this choice between these two women and basically he a, can, a, he can a, have a girl and the, the girl's mother isn't yeah, it? he can. No, it's uh, it's no, it's not quite that. Is it? It's. It, oh, I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Who is it? Because I'm not familiar with the character names in Brushstrokes. It is um, Leslie and Sandra. Right. So he has got. He's both of these women say they think that they stand a chance with him, and he has these two separate conversations with them um, in a cafe. And then basically it's up to him. Who are you going to choose, Jacko? This is the last beat of the entire. For the first series. time in your life, you're going to have to make. You're going to have to make a decision. Yeah. So he walks out of the cafe into the street, gets a coin out of his pocket, tosses the coin in the air, puts it on the back of his hand, looks at the coin, freeze. And that's right. the end. That's the end. Yeah. yeah. So in other words, there is a decision here, but do you know what? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's exactly where he was at the beginning of yeah. episode yeah. one. He's the yeah. same guy. Yeah. And that was the best ending they wrote, I yeah. think. I just um, we, we, Talking we, of best endings, we really yeah. do need to wrap okay. it up. We um, do. Um, I yeah, think... So. Um, Should we end with a song? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um... But um, it's interesting, isn't it, when you go back and look at these things, we don't quite know what they're going to give us, but um, I think we've had a really interesting chat, if I do say so myself. Thank you very much for having it with us. I think it's been yes. very interesting Jason, to have this chat. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yes, and um, that's, uh, you can catch us at Sitcom Geeks. Um, at, uh, you can contact us, sitcomgeeks at gmail.com. Uh, we're having a temporary uh, hold off on sending us your first 10 pages of scripts, but uh, we do hope that we will be looking at some of your scripts very soon. That's a promise that we've been making for about a year now, yes. isn't it? <laughs> we'll see. Thank you very much, Jason. Thanks for having me. If you, if you really require any more information, it's on my blog. Ah, oh, yes. yes, which is called... Well, uh, someone took everdecreasingcircles.blogspot.co.uk, yeah. so I've gone for foreverdecreasingcircles.blogspot.co.uk. <laughs> if you've not ever seen Ever Decreasing Circles, then catch oh, up. There are it. clips aplenty on YouTube. And, and available on DVD. Yes, the really, the really big, the great first two series are on DVD as well, so catch them. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Bye.